Well, if you have joined us since the beginning of our service this morning, just want to once again extend a warm welcome to you. Happy New Year. Great to be with you in the presence of the Lord as we start out um, the year in grace. We start out being reminded and renewed about who our God is and why it is we can have hope for the year to come. Indeed, I hope and trust the time that we will spend together this morning in this word from Mark chapter 4 will indeed both uh, challenge us as we set our face to the new year, but I also pray by God's grace, comfort us and give us a reason to be uh, encouraged. Well, I want to ask you a question as we prepare to hear the word of God this morning. I want to ask you just very simply, what do you believe is going to make the biggest difference in your life in 2021? What do you think is going to make the biggest difference in your life this year as we start off 2021? And some of you may be saying the COVID-19 vaccine. That is going to make the biggest difference in my life uh, this year. That that is available and it is now spreading. That is clearly going to make the biggest difference in my life as I look to uh, COVID or I look to the year ahead and hopefully the uh, diminishing of the spread of the virus of COVID-19. Some of you may be saying, well, I think maybe, maybe a new presidential administration. Like maybe, maybe that's going to make the biggest difference in my life. And for some of us, we have great hopes about that change. And for others of us, we, have, we are very saddened by that change. And we are concerned. What is the difference going to be as we go into 2021? Uh, maybe you took time between the week between Christmas and New Year's and do what I try to do every single year, and that is take a little inventory of life and consider where things are, where I would pray things might be a year from now, and make some resolutions and make some goals, put some plans in place. Is it your goals? Is it your resolutions? That which you have committed to going to make the biggest difference in 2021? Well, it's good, as important as those goals and resolutions may be, and as significant as some of those events uh, of what may be coming ahead in 2021 may be, if Jesus were with us here today, and I'd like to suggest that He is, by the power of His Holy Spirit, He would tell us that our heart's openness to the Word of God this year will be the biggest difference in 2021. Our openness to the Word of God this year in 2021 will be the biggest difference in the course of our lives over the course of this year. I think that you'll see this morning as we embark in the study of the parables for the next several weeks, Jesus' focus this morning is to tell you that not just your future, not just 2021, but indeed the whole of your life and eternity hangs in the balance upon the ability to rightly hear and receive the Word of God. And so as we look at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20, I would ask you to prayerfully invite the Holy Spirit to come now and to speak to you powerfully and transformatively from this, the Word of God. Let's look together at Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Again, he, that is Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. 
And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain." And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those who are outside, everything is in parables." So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And other ones are sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for the things, for other things, enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we now ask that you would number us in this room among those who understand this parable. That in hearing it in your presence right now, we would learn from it. And in learning from it, we would receive it as seed in the fallow soil of our hearts. That over time, it would bear, as the parable says, 30 and 60 and even a hundredfold to the praise and the glory of your grace. As this is to be the case, your Holy Spirit will need to be poured out on us in great measure. So that now as we attend to this word, we would ask that you would attend to us with this word by the power of that Spirit who would open up the eyes of our heart. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you're probably aware that many scholars, when they examine the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, have made a note of the fact that he is a storyteller. In fact, some 
uh, preaching professors, some homiletic professors, communicators with regards to preaching will often tell preachers, if you want to be impactful as a preacher, and if you want to model the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to grow in your ability to tell stories, because Jesus was a storyteller. In fact, Mark tells us later in this very chapter in verse 34 that Jesus never speaks publicly without a parable. He always had a story to tell. But when a preaching professor or a preacher takes that information and seeks to employ it in the life of his preaching, it often has less to do with Jesus' purposes in the parables and more to do with a rhetorical flair. You see, when Jesus is preaching from stories, these parables, these coming alongside stories, pictures of reality meant to be mirrors on our life. When he comes and tells the stories, he doesn't do it to arouse those who are dozing off, to dial back in those who have drifted. He doesn't do it just simply to illustrate a point so that it might just come alive to you. In fact, when he tells the stories that he tells, these parables... He does it for a spiritual purpose. In fact, we're told somewhat shiveringly his purpose in the parables. It's not what we would originally have imagined. Look at verse 11 and 12. To you, he says to the disciples and those who are following him, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, in, so that, that indeed they see, they do not perceive. And though they hear, they do not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, it's a strange and troubling statement on the surface, isn't it? It's the exact opposite of why a preacher might choose to tell a story, which is to make plain or clear the point that is being communicated. Jesus is actually telling us he tells parables for the opposite reason. He tells it not to make the truth plain or clear. He speaks in parables to conceal the truth, that those who see don't perceive, that those who hear don't actually hear, to make the truth, as it were, an enigma wrapped in a mystery, to obscure it. Now, why in the world would a preacher decide to preach in such a way as to not actually be perceived? Some of you, I know, accuse me of having that philosophy of preaching. Of preaching in a way that I cannot be understood. Why would a preacher preach in such a way? Why would he want to conceal the truth? Well, I want to simply remind you of the context that Jesus finds himself in. A basic reality of Jesus' ministry is that those who were listening to him among the crowd, especially among those who were the religious leaders, were men who were always after him to attack him. Everywhere Jesus went, someone was conspiring to destroy him. We've already seen in our study of Mark that when Jesus would speak and make what appeared to be outrageous claims, claims to forgive sins, claims that he was the Messiah, the Son of Man, 
claims that he was the creator of the world and the Lord of the Sabbath. That when he made these claims, the religious leaders were all up in arms seeking to attack him. We're told even in the, in the previous chapter that when he healed a man's hand on the Sabbath day, they waited to accuse him. And those Pharisees actually counseled with the Herodians, so offended that he would do work on the Sabbath day healing a man's hand, that they would now go and seek to destroy him, we're told. The whole of Jesus' ministry was under the cloud of attack. Those who were listening to him not to hear his word, but to use his word against him. To use it and to turn it against him that they might be able to destroy him. Jesus says when he speaks in parables, these obtuse and somewhat challenging to understand stories, we might actually call them a kind of exposition of a shield that protects Jesus. These parables are to cloud a bit and obscure what it is that he's saying in order that only the true seeker would pursue its understanding. Only the one whose heart really wants to know would clamor for understanding. And for those who are resistant to the word of God, those who would seek to attack the Lord Jesus Christ, they would not understand what it is that he was saying and would go about their way. It's very interestingly that these parables are told for the exact opposite reason that we think that they might be told. They're told in order to conceal, but here's the power of the parable. The parable, when it's truly received, doesn't conceal, but reveals. Every time it is spoken, the heart of the person who hears it is revealed. You see, these are words that we don't simply read. These are words, according to Jesus, that read us. If we don't get the parables, then we don't get Jesus. In the kingdom. If we get the parables, then we get Jesus and we get the kingdom. To you, he says to the disciples, the secret of the kingdom has been granted. But to those who are on the outside, those who are not true hearers or followers of the word of God, to them, the parables are spoken that in seeing they don't see, that in hearing they don't understand. In a way of speaking, a parable tells us why people have radically different responses to the Word of God. That's what a parable does. And in fact, this very first parable is unique among all the parables because it's a parable about those who hear the parables. It's not actually a parable that teaches a lesson. It's about a parable that teaches a lesson about us. It's about a parable about those who hear parables. That's what the parable of the soils or the sower or the seed, as it goes by alternate names, is meant to communicate. It tells us why some, when they hear the Word of God, are softened and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and follow Him, and others are hardened and reject Him. And seek, even as the religious leaders did, to destroy him and maybe his people. It tells us why Jonathan Edwards, that that great New England Puritan, can preach a sermon in his own congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts in the 1700s. And that congregation can file out and say the normal, cordial, kind comments to him at the back door. That was a fine pastor. That was a fine sermon, pastor. Thank you very much. 
And then he can take the exact same sermon and two weeks later can preach it in Connecticut. And he can't get halfway through it before people are crying in the aisles, calling out for repentance. Same sermon, different people, different place, different work of the Holy Spirit. And there in 1741, the revival of what would come to be known as the Great Awakening happened when a man read a manuscript that he'd already read and preached before. And the Holy Spirit came. You see, the parable of the soils actually teaches us why that happens. It teaches us that we're not in control of all of what we hear with regards to the Word of God. That we can't just decide, today I'm going to benefit from the Word. But the Holy Spirit is the one who does the interpreting of the Word. Why do you think we pray before I preach? Because there's nothing that I can say to be of any help to you as people. It's only through the preachment of the Holy Spirit. As He takes the words on wings and He flies them into our heart. Theologians refer to this distinction as that which is the external call and the effectual call. The external call is the preaching of the gospel. That which we're doing today, which falls on all kinds of hearts and all kinds of ears, that will land in different ways all over this room. It's a call that comes from a man. It's a call that can be resisted. It's a call that can be misunderstood and misappropriated. But the effectual call is how the Holy Spirit takes those words and can make those words powerful and alive and awakening to the heart of man. This is the call of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the gospel who opens up and regenerates man's hearts where scales fall from their eyes and they perceive the wonders of the word and they're changed on the spot. The power of this call is irresistible. The Holy Spirit comes and will accomplish that which the word is sent for. It is effectual. It actually brings about that which it calls you to. You probably had those experiences in a sermon. Or you finished a sermon and you're like, I had no idea what was just even said. And then you had sermons, haven't you? Where you hung on every word. And it was as if it was so alive to you that the person was speaking directly into your soul. And you're wondering how they knew all those things. And of course they didn't. The Holy Spirit did. And he was communicating in and through the communication of the preaching of God's Word. You see, the sower sows the seed. That's what he's responsible to do. But it's the Holy Spirit who's in charge of the growth. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, as we learn that God is sovereign over the communication of His Word, and yet man is responsible to hear His Word and to plead with the Lord to awaken him to the realities of God's Word, Jesus wants us to know that there are a variety of hearts that we need to even now diagnostically evaluate what kind of heart is in us. Or to put it in the language of the parable, what kind of soil is actually receiving this word this morning. 
There are four different soils that Jesus gives us here in Mark chapter 4. And I want to put them under the context of heart. There is the first soil, what I would like to refer to as the hardened heart. That maybe, I pray not, but maybe with us this morning. Uh, Jesus tells us that this type of hearer is likened to a seed that falls along the path and is trampled underfoot. And then the birds of the air come and devour it. This hearer listens to the word being spoken, which is the seed. Instead of that seed penetrating the soil, what happens to it? Well, it sits atop the soil. Notice it's along a path. Well, what happens to soil that's along a path? Well, you know, it's beat down. It's packed. It's tight. It's difficult to get into. It needs to be plowed up. This is, this is seed that just bounces kind of off the, the top of the soil. It never even uh, penetrates. It doesn't get underneath by which to, to, to make any difference. The word is sown and it never has a chance because we're told the birds see it. And they swoop down and they gobble it up. Now Jesus is kind to us here. He doesn't in every situation give us the behind the veil interpretation of the parable. But is to cite what this parable means. And he tells us that this hardened soil of the person who is under the hearing of the word of God. But doesn't hear the word of God. Is one who is in the midst of a significant spiritual warfare. That a spiritual battle is actually taking place right now in the preaching of the word. That as this seed goes forth, as God's word is proclaimed, for some it will simply sit on the top of the soil and Satan himself is that bird. It's going to come down and gobble it up. It's as if it makes no difference whatsoever whether you sat under the word or not. The sermon is going to close. The benediction is going to happen at the end of this service. And nothing spiritually registered in the heart and the life of the individual. Now there's two things I want you to see from this soil. One I've already alluded to. But one I want you to be aware of even now as you listen in all the Sundays of 2021, the rest of your life. Every time you crack open the Word of God in your daily devotionals, I want you to know that something's going on. I want you to know that hearing the Word of God is a matter of spiritual warfare. It's a matter of spiritual warfare. Have you recognized how hard it is to sit with your Bible and read it? And have you recognized how easy it is to read the paper? There's a reason for that. It's not just a matter of content. There's a spiritual war for your heart going on. It's not happening when you read the paper, you see. It is happening when you pick up the sword of the Spirit. That's the language used of the Word of God in Galatians chapter 5 as we put on the armor of God. He recognizes that we are in a spiritual warfare for our souls, what John Bunyan called the holy war. When you open up the Word of God, the reality is there is something there present often seeking to steer you away. And keeping to shield you from experiencing the reality of the power of that word. It's understanding, it's wisdom, and it's transformation. 
We've probably all had the experience of someone where we have shared the gospel with them or reveled in a piece of truth that's rich and important and transformative in the Bible. And we've seen that person's eyes light up as we've discussed with one another. And we realize we're dwelling together in the spirit of the Lord and in the truth. And we've probably had that conversation with someone about spiritual matters where all we see are glazed eyes and an unresponsive heart. Just know every time that the Word of God is opened, those realities are at play. And that we should recognize that we're in the midst of a matter of spiritual warfare when we're seeking to hear the Word of God. But I want you to see secondly, and this is very important for us regular churchgoers in Middle Tennessee. It's not enough to be in the vicinity of the Word of God when it is read and preached. Notice that. It's not enough to be in the vicinity of the Word of God when it is read and preached. Some of you said, oh, we made it. The hard work is done. Right? You showed, congratulations. Uh, You made it. And and indeed, it is hard to come to church, isn't it? It's it's the morning, as, as many of us would recount, where everything seems to go wrong. Every obstacle will be put in your play. Every internal resistance to get here is likely there. Recognize spiritual warfare. It's always happening. But getting here, according to the Bible, is not enough. Actually, when you cross the threshold of the church, know that you're not just entering a neutral ground. This is not just merely a place that you can call home where everything is going to go smoothly. This is a place where Satan, as it were, is hovering in the rafters of the chapel like a bird waiting to swoop down and steal out the seed. We're being told here that being present when the seed is scattered is not a promise that the seed is planted. As we come into the presence of the Lord, let's pray that God would break through hardened hearts and plant the seeds of the gospel in us in 2021. I want you to see, secondly, though, there's a superficial hearing. There's a hardened hearing, but there's also a superficial hearing. Notice the way that Jesus puts it. He says, the soil stands, this soil stands for those who hear the word and receive it immediately with joy. There's an initial appearance of life in this individual, a flutter of excitement from the hearing of the word of God. It seems as if the truth has gotten in, and and it has, according to the parable, a little. But when the going gets tough, what he calls tribulations and persecutions, on the behalf of, of the Word or on account of the Word, this hearer doesn't have the root system necessary to sustain under those challenges. And immediately they are withered up. It's as if those challenges come, those tribulations and persecutions on account of the word, and they begin to say to themselves, why am I doing this? I mean, this is really hard. This is really difficult, and now people are attacking me for it, and the wheels seem to be coming off in the normal human ways, and all of a sudden they begin to say it's not worth it. And the faith that looked so promising at the beginning becomes one that withers as it says, at the noonday of the sun. I'd like to suggest to you that the superficial hearer is he or she who hears the Word of God and embraces it only for what they perceive to be their personal benefits 
and not for the beauty of the Savior it presents. That's the difference in real Christianity. Real Christianity, genuine faith, is faith that trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, even if that trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is going to cost you your life. That's the faithfulness we see of true believers throughout the centuries, isn't it? Those who are willing to be crucified even for the cause of Christ, to shed their blood, to experience tribulation, sufferings, and attacks by holding fast to the Word of God. But those who are fair-weather Christians, those who are, we might say, nominal believers, uh, those who are saddled up with a church because it's convenient, because it's nice, they like the people, um, there's, a, there's a warm sense of, of fellowship that's there, there's, there's accoutrements and benefits that come along with it. When those begin to fade, this kind of believer begins to fade too. Superficial hearing. They've not really fallen in love with Jesus they have been more concerned about themselves and what Jesus can get for them than who he actually is. The problem usually shows up, isn't it, when Jesus demands to be more than just a part of your life, but to be the whole of your life. Most people are okay with Jesus being a sweetener that they kind of add in to their otherwise American dream to life. But when Jesus calls us to sacrifice that American dreamed life on the altar, well, that's a different ballgame entirely. That's why suffering, in the Scripture teaches us, is a great revealer, isn't it? We sometimes say it either makes us or it breaks us. When things are good, why not follow Jesus? If it doesn't hurt anything. But when things are bad, and maybe things are bad because you are following Jesus... We begin to wonder, now why was I doing this in the first place? And suffering exposes whether we're in this thing or not for Christ. Friends, we probably should uh, speak frankly with one another about the moment in time in which uh, we live, where increasing challenge and opposition is given to the faith in our own day and time. Might it be... That part of what it is that we would see in the days to come is that the church throughout even our context in North America is filled with superficial hearers who are, who are easily persuaded to be a part of the people of God when it was upstanding and, and expected and a part of the normal custom of the day. But when it becomes painful and when it becomes a liability to name the name of Christ, we lose jobs positions. We don't get promotions. We're not invited to those parties. We realize that certain things are stopped and stayed in terms of our own vance in, in the midst of a community because we will follow Christ no matter what. Will we still be around when that day dawns? Jesus is raising that question for the superficial hearer. Are we in it for Christ or are we in it for ourselves? Time will tell. Thirdly, he tells us that not only do we see hardened hearers and, and those who are um, superficial hearers, but I want to call this third soil the crowded hearers. The crowded hearers because everything is crowding in uh, around them. Jesus says there is a seed that falls among the thorns. These are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out 
by the cares of the world. The deceitfulness of riches, he says, and the pleasures of life. And notice, their fruit does not mature. It's as if they're pot-bound a bit in their commitments. Their, their growth is stymied because so much around them is soaking up the nutrients that's there. They can't grow into who it is that they've been called to be. They're committed to Christ in name, but in reality, if you actually looked at their checkbook and you looked at their schedule, you'd see everything else in life is more important to them than Christ. You'd recognize that the cares of the world, the materialism, and the riches and the pleasures of life is what's really caught their heart. And over time, the siren call of those things is much stronger than the call to follow Christ. Christ is elbowed out, put on the margins. Christ reminds us here that we can't serve Him and mammon. He won't have two masters. Either you will serve the one or you will serve the other. And in time, Jesus is saying here, as those thorns crowding around us as the weeds choke up the nutrients, what's truly revealed is, is our root really tapped into Christ? This last year, I reread a book that I had read at several years ago entitled Being Consumed by William Cavanaugh. In this book, he actually says that materialism in North America and the the ways in which um, the proliferation of possessions and status have been accumulated so broadly, he now would say is a new kind of type of spirituality. He says materialism has become for us a way of pursuing alternate meanings and securities, a way of identifying ourselves with groups of people, kinds of badges of honor. Marketers have moved away from telling you about a product and what it really does to trying to evoke within you certain feelings or associations with that product. That you are on the inside if you have this product, if you wear this brand. It's as if the sense of who we are has come in and through what we own. The new self must be continually made over by new possessions identifying with ever-increasing qualities and with the people who own them. He's on to something. He's on to something. That's thorns in this parable. Where we begin to realize that we spend an hour and a half in church on Sunday, but we spend 15 hours on the internet looking at stuff, at things, listening to alternate Ways of conceiving of life and what's important. And it's surprising for some of us that that one hour and a half doesn't do the trick. The collective power of that sort of time given to the things of the world will undoubtedly have a remarkable shaping influence upon the hearts and directions of our lives. Christian Smith, a number of years ago, a sociologist at Notre Dame, actually noted that the spiritual lives of American teens are drastically changing. And he summarized the new kind of vision for who God is 
in this day and time. Now, he said this now 20 some odd years ago, so it's in some ways even outdated from the time that he said it. But he said, God for the coming generation is a moral, therapeutic, deistic God. Uh, Meaning to say, he mainly wants us to be nice, moral. He's therapeutic. He really wants us just to be happy and to be fulfilled. And deistic, he's not really going to mess with us unless we ask him to. (laughs) That's the God that we want. God who's sort of nice and tame, willing to help us to fulfill our lives, but will quit bothering us if if he gets a little meddlesome. Moral therapeutic deism. He says, our new vision for God functions as a kind of divine butler and cosmic therapist. One whom we can ring the bell for to do things for us and then make us feel better when we're down. And look, something we can pick up when we're a little bored or need a little encouragement and look for something. And what we realize is what's happened is that we've actually turned Christianity on its head. That now all of a sudden the faith is all about us rather than all about Him. What is the chief end of man? For him to be glorified by God? No, no, no. For us to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You see, what's interesting is though these patterns and ways of life are becoming more normalized in our day and time, our lives are becoming increasingly insecure, depressed, anxious-ridden, lack of contentment. The disorders and the psychologized trouble of our own day and time is by incredible proportions way beyond previous generations and yet we have more than we've ever had before. When you begin to stare into the pages of Scripture, you begin to understand why. We've turned to a medicine that is actually the disease. When we begin to see these realities of hearing are so prevalent in our own day and time, it's sobering, isn't it? Begin to realize that a lot of these kinds of hearing are pretty often in our own hearts, aren't they? Yes, these soils are meant to describe a dominant reality of the disposition of individual souls. But don't you find you have some of this soil in you? That we're a, we're a collection of soils a bit. It's because we still are in the process of sanctification. We've not yet become what it is that we are, even if we are true believers. We read earlier in our service from Romans chapter 6, a passage of Scripture that speaks to the reality of present sin still within us. And yet, the broken power of sin so that it doesn't reign within us. Paul encourages us to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies, which is to imply that we can We can turn things on their head. We can give ourselves over to the things of the world. One of the great protections that we will need in the days to come by the Spirit is the willingness to boundary ourselves from those things which we are most prone to fall into. He concludes this section with a note on true hearing. He doesn't leave us in the dark. He tells us all the wrong ways, of course, of hearing, but he shows us at the end the right way. He says, the true person who hears is the good soil. The one who receives the seed of the gospel and it becomes, notice, this is the only one it's spoken of, becomes a harvest of life. 
You not only think different, you not only feel different, you are different. Fruit begins to pour forth from he or she who is hearing the word of God in faith, who loves Jesus and is following Jesus and who hangs on his word. You remember in the previous passage, which Mark is probably utilizing as a bit of a warning as he begins to teach here in Mark chapter 4, is the story about Jesus' mother and brothers coming to get him. (laughs) Jesus had been preaching and teaching and making outrageous claims, and now Jesus' mother and brothers are coming and saying, listen, you need to pipe down. People are upset. Why don't you come on home? I'll cook you a good meal. You'll get over it, and we'll, we'll, we'll get you some medicine. We'll speak some wisdom into your life. Get a long nap. Things will be better. You'll wake up more sane than you are currently. And as Jesus is there preaching in Peter's house, gathered with his disciples and those who are his followers around him, and his mother and his brothers are just outside the door, and they come to take him away, what does Jesus say? Who are my mother and my brothers? And those who are listening to his word and following him, he says, you are my mother, my brothers. And my sisters, you are the ones who have come to hear me and do my will. And it made all the difference. Those who are true followers of Christ, what do they begin to evidence? Well, he says fruit. I would imagine this is something like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. Who is it that opens up our hearts to hear the Word of God? The Spirit. Who is it that applies the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ to our heart? The Spirit. Then it is no surprise that when those things are happening, what's born in our life? The fruit of the Spirit. Do you want to pursue the fruit of the Spirit this year? Do you want to see that anger begin to dissipate and patience and peace begin to take hold? Do you want to see the gruff edges knocked off and kindness begin to be developed, the deep kind that's formed of grace? Do you you want those besetting sins and habitual secret sins that no one knows about to be drained of their power and broken of their strength within you so that goodness can reign? Desire for there to be more of a gentle And lowly approach where you are humbled and seeking God's face. Faithful and loving and self-controlled. Give yourself to the word of God in prayer this year. Plead with the Lord. Because as we've noted together today in this passage, you can't hear the word just simply by mustering up the strength of your soul. You can only hear the word if God by his grace would grant it. Plead with him to show you the beauty of Christ in the word. As you approach his word, pray invitationally that God would meet you in that word. As you're struggling to understand it, seek out aids and advisors to help you. Ask others to pray and intercede for you. Be honest about the battle and the struggle, the holy war that each of us are in to follow Christ. Seek him because the biggest difference in 20. 21 will be the fact that we have listened or we have not to the Word of God. That will be the difference. And should the God, God tarry, and we're in the first Sunday of January in 2022, what will have marked the difference of this year? It will be the power of the Word of God applied by the Holy Spirit, making before your eyes the beauty and the power of the gospel.
Now, here's the thing. I know that you and I will struggle this year. (laughs) I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you. We're going to struggle this year. Things are going to be challenging. There are going to be times where you are going to completely forget the promises of the Word of God. You're going to fall short of the commands of God. You're going to fall flat on your face over and over and over again. I'm going to go ahead and say it. You're going to do it tomorrow. We're not going to get very far into this year. You're going to do it tomorrow. And so one of the things that the Scripture is teaching us over and over and over again, as we pursue to be true hearers of the Word of God, prayerful and open to God's Word, we are constantly realizing that there is only one who truly listened to the Word of God. And His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. It was His meat and drink to do the will of His Father who is in heaven. Only He truly listened to the Word of God. Now here's what's wonderful about that. Is that all His listening to the Word of God was for you. Was for you. Was for you. He hung on the words of His Father. He quoted the Scriptures every step in His ministry as people attacked Him. He followed as the Word made flesh. The Word of God. And you know where it led him? To the cross. It might lead you there. It led him to the cross. But here's the reality. That cross of which he was led to was in order to pay for all of your faithless hearing. All of your failure to do what it is that you know is the right thing to do. He's already paid for it. He's already laid the gracious foundation for you now to approach the word, not as if I'm going to hear it and do all that he's commanded, but humbly to say there's no way I can be who I am called to be, both as a hearer and a doer of the word, if I don't trust in the one who is the only hearer and doer of the word. Do you see, that changes your heart disposition. It humbles you and awakens you to the power and the work of God this year. And I pray that as you start in on a Bible reading plan, and I pray that you have or you are, and on a prayer plan that you are beginning in that path, that you will likely, over the course of this year, need refreshment, probably repentance in that process. And I want every time that that's the case, where you fall short of what it is you've committed to do, to know that you have a Savior who's covered it. Go to Him in prayer with thanksgiving and joy and repent of your sins and then open up the Bible again. Start reading again. Start praying again. And find the Lord and His faithfulness meet you there. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you indeed do that? Renew us in the likeness of Christ as we fall in love afresh with your word. Indeed, let us see and behold. Let us not be those who see and don't perceive who hear and don't understand. Let us be those who see and perceive, who hear and truly hear. Let us do what Jesus says at the very opening of this parable. Let us listen. Let us listen. Lord, would you give us ears to hear now, and hearts to believe, and wills to obey. And would you be pleased this year to bear fruit in the lives of every single one of us in this room to a 30-fold to 60-fold, even to a 100-fold. Come and show yourself a faithful gardener and sower of seed and grow up a harvest of righteousness that speaks to your power and your greatness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.